Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of the Southern Spectre Podcast. I'm your host, Isaiah, and as always, thanks for listening. That little intro right there, that's going to be my new little theme music here on the podcast. I hope you all enjoy it and like it. Um, It's called The Gates, and it was actually written, um, composed, and recorded by Mr. Warren P. He's a good buddy of mine. He came over and recorded it with me. Um, I'm really pleased with it, really impressed, and um, I'm just so glad that Warren has allowed me to use his music. Um, He does a lot of, uh, he's a very talented young man. He does a lot of videos and stuff. Um, So if you go check him out on Instagram, you can find him at Colston underscore King underscore 20. That's C-O-L-S-T-O-N underscore King, K-I-N-G underscore two zero. Also, you can find him um, on TikTok, which he has been blowing up lately. And uh, go support my friend, you guys. I'm telling you, you will not be disappointed. You can find him on TikTok at Warren P. That's W-A-R-R-E-N-P-E-A-Y. Once again, Warren P. Go check him out, guys. Um, I couldn't be more happier with the uh, little introduction he did right there for me. Uh, like I said, he he's called it The Gates. And uh, I kind of like that name because, uh, you know, that's exactly what we're doing. We're opening up the gates, so to speak. Um... This is going to be a little bit different episode, probably one of the longest I've ever done, and I actually had to cut this one in half. Um, So this is going to be part one of two. Um, But what, uh, just, all right, (laughs) there have been some things going around in the country music community here recently and i'm not going to get into all those okay um i do not want to make this anything political um but i do have some thoughts and feelings about the country music industry that i have been meaning to get off my chest for years okay so i've got everything planned out here in front of me um and i'll be i'll go ahead and warn you um that this is not um, to offend anyone. This is not to, uh, you know, everybody's got their own choice in music, and that's fine. That's what you choose to listen to. More power to you. That is your right, and that is your freedom. Go ahead. Um, but I just have some things that I want to get off my chest, uh, and um, I'm going to start with that, but then I'm going to get into the show. And you'll kind of see where this is going. Um, I don't want to tie up uh, too much of anybody's time with uh, hearing me ramble on about certain things. But uh, I think you'll enjoy it. I kind of put a little twist on it to kind of fit the show. So, um, But today's show is going to be about the darker side of country music. Sit back, guys, relax, and I hope you enjoy it. Country music is defined as, quote, a style and genre of largely string-accompanied American popular music, having roots in the folk music of the Southeast and cowboy music of the West, usually vocalized, generally simple in form and harmony, and typified by romantic or melancholy ballads, accompanied by acoustic or electric guitar, banjo, violin, and harmonica, 
End quote. This is not the country music that is played on country music stations today. Warning, strong personal opinions ahead. There are many a country tune that I have come to love over the years, since my virgin ears were corrupted by the twangful devils. I remember when George Jones had a flat top. I remember when Conway Twitty had a helmet head. I remember when Lyle Lovett was considered a handsome man. I remember rhinestones running on a Duracell. And I remember that Dolly Parton, nobody, and I mean nobody, could compete with her gigantic set of wigs. She had an enormous and extensive collection of wigs. Nobody could even come close. I first heard about the biggest strike in Klondike history with Lefty Frizzle, and then learned that you're the reason God made Oklahoma from David Frizzle which is Lefty's younger brother, and of course, Shelly West. Hell, I was there when Shelly West kissed all the cowboys, shot out the lights, danced on the bar, and started a big fight. Why? Too much tequila last night. Dottie West, mother to Shelly West, and Kenny Rogers taught me what happens when two fools collide. Kenny Rogers, in turn, took me on more than one adventure. I got goosebumps when Tommy marched across the bar room and one of the Gatlin boys met him halfway across the floor and I heard that pin drop when Tommy stopped and locked the door. I was there on the train when Kenny met up with the gambler. They were both too tired to sleep. Kenny and Dolly taught me how to rely on each other from one corner to another. Uh-huh. I can see the grandeur display of that coat of many colors Dolly's mother made for her. And more than once she's fussed at me about why I came in here looking like I do. Because apparently I was all decked out like a cowgirl's dream. And not to mention that Dolly and the red-headed stranger himself, Willie Nelson, showed me that everything is beautiful in its own way. I felt the pain and sorrow of those blue eyes crying in the rain. I even learned that I can wait to get on the road again. And was there when the bastards hung him in the spring of 25 but he is still alive. I've even felt born upon the tide with Christofferson and was there when Waylon Jennings was buried in that gray tomb that knows no sound, but he is still around. And of course, I flew a starship across the universe divide with Johnny Cash. Johnny took me everywhere, man, breathed the mountain air, man, even got me stuck in Folsom Prison and was once introduced to a boy named Sue. He greeted me, with my name is Sue. How do you do? Now you gonna die. Johnny had this car once. Claims he got it one piece at a time. I felt like a doggone pity with Charlie Pride. High on a mountain of love. I've caught the Friday night blues. Cause they got in my shoes. And they worked to get me down. With John Conley. But hell. What do you expect? I'm just a common man. I drive a common van. My dog ain't got a pedigree. I sang Dixie. As he died. Taking my last ride in a long white Cadillac. Learned my lesson as a naive fool who came to Babylon and found out that the pie don't taste so sweet with Dwight Yoakam. Between Dwight and Elvis, I found myself caught in a trap and can't walk out because I love you too much, baby. After all, wise men say only fools rush in. You can dress up today's so-called country music 
Apply your mama's cold cream, blush, and rouge. Call it what you want, but don't call it country. Don't get me wrong. I have my own favorites amongst this bunch. I'll gladly sit back and vibe with some Eric Church, Zach Brown, Brothers Osborne, Margot Price, and a few others that have managed to slip through the cracks. Oh, P.S. If these names seem a little dated, it's because I don't keep track of what's popping at the top of the country charts. Jason Isbell is one of my favorites. But unless you have good taste, satellite radio, or intentionally seek out these types of artists, you've probably only heard the name in passing. Why? Well, mainstream media only plays what they want you to hear. Don't believe me? How about this? Jason Isbell and his band, known as the 400 Unit, actually won Best Americana Album in 2016, and again in 2018 at the Grammys. That's right, I said Americana. So, Isbell is Americana now. Funny. I remember just a few weeks ago, Jason Isbell and his wife Amanda Shires actually turned in their CMA memberships and slammed the CMA awards as musician, legend, and longtime friend John Preen was completely overlooked after his passing. No mention of Preen anywhere. That's outlaw. Well, having a membership to the ACM or Academy of Country Music doesn't very well make you the uh, country, right? No, it doesn't, but the original criteria to have and maintain a membership is a majority of your income would have to come from country music. Country music is supposed to tell a ballad, while attempting to tame the melodic recklessness that is only held back by reins governed by how far the imagination can travel. Most of the ladies, legends, and outlaws of generations long gone wrote songs about real-life experiences, which is what country music is completely about. Hearts found, love lost, bonds broken, being lost in your own mind, experiencing life. No one cares about which girl you were with in the middle of a pandemic. Yeah, I'm looking at you, mullet walling. You girls hope you better get tested. For COVID. For COVID, okay. I'm sorry, but mullet walling, (laughs) Morgan walling, looks like the love child of Joe Dirt and the Swedish chef from the Muppets. My point is this, I remember listening to these songs, sitting between my parents as we rode around in my dad's 78 Chevrolet single cab pickup. It brings back memories for me of a much simpler time. These are the songs and songwriters that shaped my childhood. These songs, whether I realized it or not, taught a lesson in some way, shape, or form. They were lessons that could be applied to daily life and daily struggles. These songs had a special place in my mind, and I could pull one out for any given circumstance. The stage of country music was set for greatness, but in my opinion, the artists of today have fallen far from the bar that was set so much higher by the ones that came before them. Over the years, the genre has been on a slow but steady change of pace. Those that cling to something of a more original sound, along with their poetry and prose, are ignored or overlooked placed on a dusty shelf in a warehouse somewhere. They don't get the following they deserve, but they have a stronger following than one would think. Some of today's artists have stood on the shoulders of giants to propel their careers forward, and sometimes the outcome isn't so pretty. The likes of Taylor Swift, Florida Georgia Line, Little Nas, or Luke and Brian are all the rage sitting at the top of these so-called country charts. Nonetheless, they're all musical artists, and they belong somewhere. In my opinion, not in the genre in which they currently reside, but somewhere. 
It's just not my cup of tea, and I refuse to drink. Maybe it's the turning of the page that makes me bitter, the changing of the tide, me in my older age, set in my ways, the passing of the sands of time through the hourglass. Nowadays, I'm beginning to feel more like the old hippie the Bellamy brothers sing about. He turned 35 last Sunday. In his hair, he found some gray. But he still ain't changed his lifestyle. He likes it better the old way. So he grows a little garden in the backyard by the fence. He's consuming what he's growing nowadays in self-defense. He gets out there in the twilight zone sometimes when it just don't make no sense. Tracy Lawrence said it best in the song Time Marches On. When he says, the only thing that stays the same is everything changes. It's funny how when we're struggling in our adolescence that we don't fully accept what's handed to us. But as we progress through time, we find ourselves struggling to get back what we once knew so well. I'm stuck in my ways with no chance of escape. But I digress. Just like the songs that I grew up listening to in some way, shape, or form... These songs serve their purpose for something or someone, somewhere. These songs are what the next generation are listening to. And just like the songs that have served me well for so long, I hope that these songs will take a place in their jukebox of memories and serve them well when they need it. I remember a time when you could turn on the radio to any given station and get a plethora of today's hits and yesterday's favorites. The radio station in my day was the one thing you could depend on. In today's world, I rarely turn on my radio because there's nothing good on. I don't want to sift through a mountain of trash to find that one nugget of satisfaction. My Spotify account is my best friend these days when it comes to music. I miss those days, but the only thing better than those days were those nights. You could turn on the radio at the end of every day and listen to the Hot 9 at 9, which was a radio countdown of the day's most requested songs. And man, there was never a disappointment. Okay, maybe a few. But overall, you couldn't beat it. In my day, our Spotify was calling an open house party with John Garabedian, and you could never go wrong with Backtracks USA with Kid Kelly. So in honor of those long-forgotten radio shows and countdowns from a bygone era, I'll be doing a countdown of my own, with a few stories thrown in the mix. So pull up a chair, settle in, and cozy up for the Southern Spectre's Top 9 Darker Side of Country Music Hits. Enjoy. Virginia Patterson Hensley was born in Winchester, Virginia on September 8, 1932. Learning to sing from her father at a very young age, Virginia showed promise as a singer. Virginia's family didn't stay in one place too long. By the time she had turned 15, they had moved more than a dozen times. Virginia's father had walked out on her and her family, and that's when she decided to begin her journey toward becoming a country music artist. Virginia wrote a letter to the Grand Ole Opry requesting an audition. Although her audition was well received, ultimately she never heard a word from the Grand Ole Opry. 
She continued the life of an aspiring musician until she was discovered by Bill McCall of Four Star Records. On September 30, 1954, Virginia signed a two-year contract with Four Star Records, and as they say, the rest is history. She may have been born Virginia Patterson Hensley, but the world would know her as Patsy Cline. Cline would quickly rise to fame with her hits, Walking After Midnight, and Crazy, and she would earn her place in the Country Music Hall of Fame. Before turning 30 years old, Patsy Cline had become the most popular female country singer in recording history. Then, at the height of her career, Patsy and her brother, Sam Hensley Jr., were in a near-fatal accident. In June of 1961, Patsy had brought her family to Nashville to visit with her in her new home. Patsy, along with her brother Sam, had headed out to do some shopping. Sadly, while traveling home, their vehicle was struck head-on with another. The sudden impact launched Patsy into the windshield, resulting in extensive facial injuries. Patsy also endured a disjointed hip, suffered a broken wrist, along with a large laceration across her forehead, just barely missing her eyes. Dottie West, fellow country artist and friend of Patsy, heard the report of the crash over the radio and raced to her friend's side. Dottie assisted with removing glass fragments from Patsy's hair. Patsy was taken to the hospital where she was informed her injuries were life-threatening and was not expected to pull through. However, after surgery, she survived. Patsy would later tell her husband that, quote, Jesus was here, Charlie. Don't worry. He took my hand and told me, no, not now. I have other things for you to do, end quote. After major facial reconstruction surgery, she made a full recovery and would perform on stage at the Grand Ole Opry later that same year. After returning, she assured her fans that she was here to stay. Quote, I'll tell you one thing. The greatest gift I think that you folks could have given me was the encouragement that you gave me. Right at the very time, I needed you the most. You came through with the flyingest of colors, and I just want to say, you'll just never know how happy you made this old country gal, said Patsy. Patsy Klein, along with Hawkshaw Hawkins, Cowboy Copas, were on a plane returning home after a few shows in Kansas. Bad weather was all around, and heavy fog had prevented the plane from takeoff the day before. Randy Hughes, Patsy's manager, was flying the Piper PA-24 Comanche that day. The plane had stopped once in Missouri to refuel, and then again in Tennessee at the Dyersburg Municipal Airport. The airfield manager suggested they stay overnight and wait out the weather, and even offered them free rooms and meals, but Randy Hughes insisted they push on. The plane departed Dyersburg at 6.07 p.m. and crashed. 90 miles from their destination of Nashville, right outside of Camden, Tennessee. Patsy's wristwatch stopped at 6.20 p.m., suggesting this was the time of impact. All on board died instantly. It's sad when we lose someone under such severe circumstances, but what's odd are the circumstances surrounding her death. The day the plane had been grounded due to the immense fog, Dottie West offered Patsy Cline a ride to Nashville instead. Quote, Don't worry about me, Hoss. When it's my time to go, it's my time. End quote, Patsy responded. 
Had Patsy predicted her own death? Some speculate that this was indeed the case. In a Country Living article, friends Loretta Lynn and June Carter Cash said that Patsy Cline, quote, had an eerie sense of her own impending death, end quote. In the 93 documentary, Remembering Patsy, it said that shortly before her death, she wrote a letter to her friend stating, It's wonderful, but what do I do for 63? It's getting so, even Patsy can't follow Patsy. Not to mention that one week before her death, she told singer Ray Walker, Honey, I've had two bad ones, referring to her accidents. The third one will either be a charm or it will kill me. Some even say that Patsy had told those close to her that her song, Sweet Dreams, was going to be her last. Again, in the Remembering Patsy documentary, Jan Howard says she was present at an after-party following Patsy Cline's recording of her upcoming album, and Cline motioned to the album and the recording booth and stated, quote, Well, here it is, the first and the last, end quote. Eerily enough, it was true. Patsy Cline is a legend in the country music history books, and those we lost in that plane crash along with Patsy are remembered still today by a memorial that marks the exact spot the Piper PA-24 Comanche crashed near Camden, Tennessee. Patsy Cline is buried at Shenandoah Memorial Park in her hometown of Winchester, Virginia, where her grave is marked with a bronze plaque which reads, quote, Death cannot kill what never dies. Love. End quote. This brings us to our first song on our top nine countdown. It's Writing with Private Malone by David Ball. Ball first had a hit with Thinking Problem off the album, sharing the same name. But in 2001, David Ball would stop country music fans in their tracks with the patriotic ballad Riding with Private Malone. The song was co-written by Wood Newton and Tom Shepard and was an instant hit putting Ball back on the top 40 for the first time since the mid-90s. Tom Shepard and Wood Newton met on a radio show they had done together and soon collaborated to write a song. Tom had seen a story about a guy who had restored a 1966 Corvette. He also seen another story about this guy who restored a car, and he would tune the radio to one channel, but it would always change back to a different station, so he assumed the car was haunted. The song was an American story. The song had it all, including the excitement of finding a classic car, and getting a bargain on it, and then restoring it. They chose a 1966 Corvette because it was an amazing icon of American ingenuity. They met about four times, worked for a few hours at a time to really get the song right. The song ended up being over four minutes long. Apparently, there's some unwritten song law that says you have to keep them three minutes or less. But they couldn't find a way to tell the story they needed to tell in less than four minutes. During a songwriter show in Nashville, David Ball heard the song and knew immediately he wanted to be involved. He learned it, worked his magic, and recorded it on Music Row in Nashville. 
David already had his latest album, Amigo, finished, so the trio weren't sure if the song Private Malone would make the cut. Wood was doing some lobbying in Washington, D.C. for the National Songwriters Association International, and he decided to take a visit to the Vietnam Memorial. While there, he receives a phone call from his wife. She explains that radio DJ Carl P. Mayfield had played David Ball's recording of Private Malone on one of Nashville's country stations, and the phones lit up. Carl P. said he had not seen that happen since the, they first played Murder on Music Row, which was an Alan Jackson George Strait hit. Still not certain if they should add the song to Ball's upcoming album. After that happened, they had no choice but to make an exception for the song, and the song was released as a single in August 2001. For those unfamiliar with the song, it tells a tale about a young man who just returned home from serving his country and he's browsing the classified ads one day when he stumbles upon one that says Old Chevy, which happened to catch his eye. He goes to check out the old Chevy and realizes it's an old woman who's selling the car. So she takes him to the shed where the car is kept and removes the tarp covering the vehicle, and that's when he realizes it's a 66 Chevy Corvette. He feels guilty about the price, but he hands over the money anyway. He discovers a letter dated 1966 in the glove box, which reads, My name is Private Andrew Malone, and if you're reading this, then I didn't make it home. But for every dream that's shattered, another one comes true. This car was once a dream of mine, now it belongs to you. And though you may take her and make her your own, you'll always be riding with Private Malone. The car's new owner says with a little love and elbow grease, she was running like new. Although the following verse indicates something not quite right with the vehicle. Buttons on the radio didn't seem to work quite right, but it'd pick up that oldie show, especially late at night. I'd get the feeling sometimes if I turned real quick, I'd see a soldier riding shotgun in the seat right next to me. And then in the climax of the song, we see the rest of the story unfold. Well, one night it was raining hard. I took the curve too fast. And I still don't remember much about that fiery crash. Someone said they thought they saw a soldier pull me out. They didn't get his name, but I know without a doubt. After the song's release, Tom and Wood started getting emails where people claimed they knew the story and the exact person that they were talking about. It took on a life of its own, and it's never really stopped. A pioneer in the rockabilly genre, Johnny Horton would eventually join forces with Johnny Cash and award-winning songwriter Merle Kilgore. The three legends of country and pop music were drawn together by both their love of music and their interest of proving life beyond the grave. In 1960, Johnny Horton was killed in a freak car accident, and according to his friends, Cash and Kilgore, they received undeniable proof of the existence of the great beyond. The story goes that before Horton's funeral, 
Cash commented to Kilgore about how gloomy and dreary the day happened to be, and it almost seemed fitting given the mood. However, a miracle would soon shine on them and, quote, everything will be as bright as day, end quote. After the services were over, J. Bernard Ricks, who was a friend of Kilgore, Cash, and Horton, brought Cash's attention to a message he had received during Horton's service. The message was, quote, bright is this day, end quote. Almost word for word what Cash had said before the service started. But Horton wasn't finished chatting, not yet. Kilgore claims that he and Horton had worked on a cryptic message that only the two would know about in the event that death had come between them. The phrase was, quote, the drummer is a rummer and he can't hold the beat, end quote. Kilgore waited patiently for years, hoping for the message from his friend proving his transcendence. Then, during an interview on a New York radio station, a strange phone call came through to the radio station. It was a woman who said she was one in a group of spiritualists and the group had been using a Ouija board when a message was received. The planchette spelled out the name M-E-R-L-E-K-I-L-G-O-R-E. Not one single person had ever heard the name then, the caller claimed to have heard the name Kilgore, his name on the radio. That's when the planchette flew across the board spelling out the most absurd message. The drummer is a rummer, and he can't hold the beat. Number eight on our countdown is Phantom 309 by Red Sovine. The song is told from a first-person perspective by a hitchhiker who's trying to return home after being on the West Coast. After three days at a crossroad in the pouring rain, he finally waves down an 18-wheeler driven by a guy who calls himself Big Joe. Big Joe continues driving through the night to drop the hitchhiker off at, at a truck stop. Big Joe tosses his passenger a dime for a cup of coffee, or Joe if you will, and heads on down the road. The hitchhiker makes his way into the truck stop dropping the dime on the counter and asking for a coffee and that it's on Big Joe's dime. The waitress informs the hitchhiker that 10 years ago at the very intersection where Big Joe stopped to give him a lift a horrible accident occurred. A school bus full of kids was stopped on the road and an 18-wheeler came upon them going entirely too fast and the driver knew he couldn't stop. So he swerved the truck, lost control, and was killed in the wreck. The driver of that truck was none other than Big Joe himself. The hitchhiker had just hitched a ride with a ghost. The urban legend part about being picked up by phantom truckers is up to you to believe, but the story of the crash itself was absolutely true. On January 29, 1963, John William Pete Trudell drove a tanker truck loaded with 4,600 gallons of gas, and he was headed to New Hampshire near the eastern bank of the Connecticut River. He started up Route 1 just north of Boston on the Newburyport Turnpike. The intersection of Route 129 and Route 1 in Saugus was treacherous, 
Trudale passed under the bridge where a blind spot impeded drivers as they went into a dip. Little did Trudale know that there was a car stopped under the bridge where it was waiting for a school bus to pick up children. There was no way Trudale could stop. Rather than plowing into the back of the two vehicles that were stopped on the road, he crashed the tanker into the bridge abutment. Trudale was unable to escape the cab as the 4,600 gallons of gas erupted. The driver of the car tried to escape, but was overtaken by the flames. The bus was engulfed in flames, but the six children and the driver on board had time to escape. About 10 seconds after the passengers and driver got out, the bus burst into flames. The heat of the fire was so intense that steel girders on the overpass buckled. In August of 2014, residents of the town of Troy, New Hampshire, got together to build a monument in honor of Pete Trudell. The main inscription reads, quote, Troy's hero, end quote. Just below these words, quote, Greater love hath no man than this, to lay down one's life for his fellow man, end quote. If this story sounds awfully familiar, it was the inspiration for the large Marge scene in the movie Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Number seven on our list of the Southern Spectre's top nine darker side of country music hits is Genie's Afraid of the Dark by Porter Wagner and Dolly Parton. This one is a bit of a tearjerker to say the least. This song tells the story of a sweet little girl who for some reason, which isn't necessarily made clear, is afraid of the dark. She would always run to her parents' bedroom, begging to sleep in the bed because she was afraid of the dark. One day, the parents take the little girl to the cemetery to bring some flowers to some loved one's grave, and Jeannie asks, Mommy, ain't it dark in the ground? Oh, Daddy, I'd be so afraid. Then little Jeannie looks at her parents and pleads, When I die, please don't bury me, cause Jeannie's afraid of the dark. Then, at the end of this morbid ballad, we hear Porter comes in and speaks the following verse in such a somber tone, and it's here we discover it's not the dark that Jeannie's afraid of, but death. Cause it took her one dark stormy night, I think we always knew that we'd never see Jeannie groan. Cause it seemed she was destined to die, but on Jeannie's grave, we placed an eternal flame that glows and never loses its spark. And on the darkest night, there's always a light, cause Jeannie's afraid of the dark. Moving right along, Number six on our list is Long Black Veil, performed by Lefty Frizzle. This one is another strange one, I would have to say. It's told from the point of view of a man who's being accused of a murder he didn't commit. The judge said, son, what is your alibi? If you were somewhere else, then you won't have to die. 
I spoke not a word, though it meant my life, for I'd been in the arms of my best friend's wife. So come to find out that he was actually having an affair with his best friend's wife, and instead of spilling their secret, he would rather take it to the grave. That's when we discover that his lover makes her way in a long black veil, and she comes to visit his grave and bring flowers. She walks these hills in a long black veil. She visits my grave when the night winds wail. Nobody knows, nobody sees, nobody knows but me. She does this in secret because she's still in love with him. The song was written in 1959 by Danny Deal and Mary John Wilkin, and then recorded by Lefty Frizzle. The writers drew inspiration from three distinct sources. Number one, Red Foley's recording of God Walks These Hills With Me. Number two, a newspaper article about an unsolved murder of a priest. And number three, the legend of the mysterious veiled woman who visited Rudolph Valentino's grave. Now, all three of these are interesting enough, but the one that we're going to talk about is the mysterious veiled woman laying flowers on Valentino's grave. Rudolph Valentino was an Italian actor who made it to the U.S. and became a name amongst names in the Hollywood community. In August of 1926, Valentino collapsed at his hotel in Manhattan. He was rushed to the hospital and he was diagnosed with appendicitis and gastric ulcers. Surgery was performed and his condition became known as Valentino syndrome. Doctors believed he would make a full recovery, but then on August 21st of that year, he took a turn for the worse. Then at the young age of 31, Valentino died on August 23rd. A ceremony was held in Manhattan to honor the actor, and then his body was sent back to California, where another funeral was held in Beverly Hills. Valentino had no pre-made funeral arrangements, and to offer a temporary solution, his friend June Mathis offered a crypt that she had purchased for her now ex-husband. Valentino was placed in the crypt, and oddly enough, the following year, Mathis joined her friend in the crypt, and she died as well. Valentino's remains have never been moved since. Over the years, an unknown woman makes a visit to his final resting place to lay flowers on his grave. After Valentino's death, the woman would visit almost daily, bringing flowers, but then it became more of an annual visit, and she would make a visit every August 23rd. Sometimes she would arrive by taxi, sometimes by limo, but she would always make the trek to pay her respects. This, of course, caught the attention of others, and soon crowds began to form to watch the lady in the black veil deliver her flowers. She finally identified herself as Dietra Flame, who was a friend of Valentino. Dietra was born Princess Wilson, who was an orphan but adopted by a Hollywood family. Valentino happened to be friends with her parents and would often make visits. Once Dietra was in the hospital and Valentino paid her a visit, the story goes that he brought her a rose and laid it beside her, saying that it would stand for a miracle. He did not believe she would die from the surgery she was ordered to have, but if she did, 
he would bring roses to her grave daily. Valentino asked the same of her if he were to die before her, as he didn't want to be lonely, and Dietra promised. In February of 1984, Dietra passed away and was laid to rest in San Jacinto, and her gravestone bears the words, Lady in Black. Others have followed in her footsteps, carrying on the tradition, but she was the original. Now this brings us to number five on our list. The Legend of Woolly Swamp by the Charlie Daniels Band. The song was written, composed, and recorded by the Charlie Daniels Band and was a follow-up to their hit, The Devil Went Down to Georgia. Charlie Daniels recalls hunting in the actual Woolly Swamp. Daniels used to night hunt there in his younger years and recalls that Woolly Swamp just seemed like the kind of place a story like that could happen. The song tells us about a man who, after hearing a local legend, decides to find out the truth on his own. The legend is that of Lucius Clay, who was a recluse who lives back in the woods of Woolly Swamp. We learn that he didn't care too much for people, but he sure loved his money. He'd stuff it all down in mason jars and bury it all around. But on certain nights, if the moon was right, he'd dig it up out of the ground. He'd pour it all out on the floor of his shack and run his fingers through it. Old Lucius Clay was a greedy old man, and that's all there ever was to it. The legend continues when we're introduced to the cable boys who live over in nearby Carver's Creek. The oldest of the brothers tells the others, let's head over to Lucius Clay's place. We'll steal his money and leave him for dead. And as the listener to the grim ghost story, we get to see it all unfold. One night, the oldest brother said, y'all meet in the woolly swamp later. We'll get old Lucius's money and we'll pitch him to the alligators. They found the old man out in the back with a shovel in his hand and 13 rusty mason jars he just dug up out of the sand. And they all went crazy and they beat the old man and then they picked him up off the ground. Then they threw him in the swamp and they stood there and laughed till the black water sucked him down. Then they turned around and went back to the shack and they picked up the money and ran. But they did, hadn't gone nowhere when they realized they were running in quicksand. And they struggled and screamed but they couldn't get away. Then just before they were gone, they could hear that old man laughing in a voice that was loud and strong. The legend that our curious protagonist is headed to, quote, see for himself, is then revealed. And on certain nights, if the moon is right and you're down by the dark footpath, you can hear three young men screaming and you can hear that old man laugh. The song only made it to the 80th spot on the Billboard Country charts, but on U.S. pop charts, it entered the top 40 and finally peaked at the 31st spot. My hat's off to you, Mr. Daniels for telling one heck of a ghost story. Alright, ladies and gentlemen, that's going to do it for today's episode of the Southern Spectre Podcast. I hope you enjoyed part one of the Southern Spectre's uh, top nine darker uh, side of country music hits. Um, we're only down to number, well, yeah. 
Next time, next show, we'll do uh, four through number one. Um, I think it's going to be a really great show and the way this all concludes and everything. I, I've actually learned more than what I ever anticipated of learning some things I never actually even knew. So that was pretty cool, and I enjoyed doing this show. This is like one of the ones I've been most excited about. Uh, so be on the lookout for part two coming up soon. Uh, don't forget to follow me on social media. <clears throat> You can find me at Facebook at uh, the Southern Spectre Podcast. You can also find me on Instagram at the Southern Spectre. Follow me on TikTok at the Southern Spectre. And be sure to be on the lookout for the Southern Spectre YouTube channel. I just uh, put the trailer up for the channel uh, last night. Uh, took me a little while. I was having some technical difficulties. I'm an old man, so please excuse me. I just can't seem to keep up with technology anymore. But um, once I got everything figured out, I think it turned out really good. Um, it looks amazing, in my opinion. Um, I, more or less, just a little bit more too proud of myself, I guess. But anyway, go check it out. You can find me at the Southern Spectre Podcast um, YouTube channel. Uh, so if you go on to YouTube, just type in the Southern Spectre Podcast. It'll pop right up. Um, I will put a link to uh, that channel down below. And... Um, guys uh like i said join me next time when we wrap up this countdown i hope you all are staying safe uh, staying busy um like i said it's rough times we're living in and um some days seem worse than others but there's gonna be a light at the end of the tunnel i love you guys y'all take care stay safe <laughs>